Welcome to Heart Church. We believe the gospel has the power to change your whole life, all your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. Welcome to Heart Church. It's great to see you today. It's my very great privilege to speak this morning and we are in the midst of a 12-week series called Behind Closed Doors and many of you were here on Vision Sunday back in March this year. Pastor Malcolm talked about the open door and uh, also where many of you have joined us since then. A really warm welcome to you, particularly if you're here as a student maybe today and you're checking us out or you're visiting Um, You've been coming for the first time or a first few times. Let me extend my welcome to you. Really glad you're among us. And I want to catch you up a bit because on Vision Sunday, the theme of the open door was taken from the book of Revelation where Jesus speaks to a guy in a dream and he says, behold, I have set before you an open door. And that, if you're a Christian in the room today, you'd understand maybe is prophetic. What we mean by that, it's symbolic. Um, we're believing as a community this year, individually in your life, for an open door. What does that mean? That over here, there are some new opportunities. Here, there's been some restrictions, maybe some hopes, some dreams, some things that we've believed for, some things that we've wanted, that we believe God has for us, that we haven't managed to enter into, and we believe particularly this year, that the ability to enter into more freedom, more wholeness, more fullness, more life, more opportunity is reserved in a unique way for us this year, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that can believe it. So while that is true, that may have happened in your life this year already without you realising it. Maybe you found some freedom in the way that you think. Maybe your body has been touched this year. Maybe a relationship alignment has taken place. Maybe you've been led to a new city. Maybe you've already had a new job. Maybe something's come to an end that was holding you back. Maybe you've found freedom in your emotions and God has touched you in your heart. There could be a thousand ways that the open door represents that may have already been happening in your life. So I just want to name that for you and also that while it's true for us individually we believe it's true for us as a church this year that there are some new opportunities just on the horizon that we're about to enter into so on vision sunday pastor malcolm said that part of our ability to move through the open door we've got these doors on the walls of our room as a reminder is linked to what goes on behind closed doors might be familiar with some of that. So as we put foundations in our lives, as we embrace order, as we establish rhythm and embrace God's rhythm, what are we doing? We're effectively developing our core. We're going deeper. We're, we're making sure that our character, our strength, our, our ability to step into the opportunity when the opportunity comes is there. Do you understand? We can pray for a job. But if we can't turn up on time on our first day, how many of you know we're in trouble? I've just preached right there for somebody. You understand what I'm saying? So what? The open door is linked to what goes on behind 
closed doors. And we're in the middle of that series right now. We're on week four of the 12 weeks. This is the last week of part one foundations. And it's my great privilege to speak about prayer today. This is the catch you up a little bit previously on behind closed doors. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're looking for the skip button right now. Some of you are like, this is great. I didn't know any of this. Thanks for letting me know. Here we are, week four, behind closed doors, prayer. And our focus verse for the series has been Acts 2 verse 42. The early church is the foundation of the church. And the early church was founded on a group of people who were founded, if we're talking about foundations, committed to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And today we're looking at prayer. You can catch those other three messages on our website about the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. They're available to you to listen to. I'm married to Rhoda. We have two boys, Jude and Elijah. Jude is three, Elijah's one. Rhoda did the spotlight, a bit like Ben just did in week one of the series. Um, So she did a three-minute spotlight, and I'm speaking for 43 minutes today on prayer. And that's a good picture of our marriage right there, because what (laughs) normally takes me 43 minutes to say, Rhoda can say in three minutes. So... We're still in the introduction. This is a case in point. So I hope you're all just sitting comfortably. I'm not moving on yet. We're all good. Just getting to know one another. Also, if you don't know me, I'm aware in this service, you may just know me as like fan man, kind of fan door man, that mysterious guy who moves around in the dark. Yeah, that's how you know me. Okay, that's great. So I know that this side of the room, you like me because I keep you cool. And just over there in the corner, there's some haters because I know it gets very, very cold. So I'm just going to preach over here. That's awesome. Amazing. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's life and it has the power to change our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would make it real to us today and build foundations in our life as we look at how to pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So they devoted themselves to prayer. That word devoted means that they persisted in. It's something that they did regularly. Uh, The verb has a sense of an ongoing action to it, which means basically they kept on committing themselves to prayer. They kept on committing themselves to prayer. The word devotion and prayer is used a few times in the beginning of Acts uniquely together. Acts 1.14 where the disciples who spent three years with Jesus, they now found themselves in the upper room after Jesus has gone to heaven. They're there as instructed, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And it says that Acts 1.14, they devoted themselves to prayer. We see it again here in Acts 42. And then further on in Acts 6, again, it says it, it wouldn't be right for those guys to get wrapped up in all kinds of distractions. They need to devote themselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. So prayer... And devotion go hand in hand. We, uh, our vision as a church, one of the words in our pulse, which is describing the kind of people that we believe the Bible teaches us that we should aspire to be. One of the words is passion. And it, it says this, is there not a cause? Boldly believing, sacrificial and devoted. This is the 
flavour. This is the feel that we get when we look at these guys gathered in the upper room. They were sacrificial and they kept on committing themselves to a life, a habit, a lifestyle of prayer. And I think the question for me, first of all for us today, is how are we devoting ourselves to prayer? Your version, Acts 2.42, might say the prayers. So it was a communal thing. We see Peter and John going to the temple together. They lived in a Jewish culture. They gathered together when the believers were facing opposition from the, the Jewish leaders. They gathered together in Acts 4 to pray and to raise their voices together. Prayer was very much a communal activity. We, we have some of those as a church. We heard about it in Heartbeat and I would encourage every one of you to come Come back to this room this Wednesday, 7 p.m. for heart prayer. We say for everybody who considers themselves or calls themselves to be part of the heart church family, that just means it's for you. This prayer meeting is for you. It's a chance for us to gather together and pray heart prayer three times a year. But if they were devoted corporately and their leaders were devoted, then maybe that devotion flowed out of a personal devotion. It's difficult to be devoted corporately if we're not devoted personally. And that's the approach that I want to take today as we look at prayer together. How do we devote ourselves to prayer? I find it interesting. These 12 guys who devoted themselves to it had been with Jesus for three years. And I wonder if they'd seen him in action. Jesus, I imagine the greatest prayer that had ever walked the face of the earth. We get snippets in the scriptures about him getting up early while it was dark. We're going to look at some of that in a bit. He had a lifestyle, a habit, a devotion of prayer and they wanted to be like him as we aspire to be like our Lord and Saviour. We we want to have a lifestyle of prayer. They asked him the question that I think so many of us ask if we're honest. Lord, teach us how to pray. How do we do it? How, how do we pray? So I want to take us to Matthew chapter 6. You can read it on the screens in a moment or you can turn in your Bibles. Bit of a disclaimer, this is a factory settings message. What do I mean by that? If you've got an iPhone um, or you're unlucky enough to have a Samsung, then basically you might Fine. Oh, I just alienated half the room. I apologize. In that experience, you will often find that your phone might freeze. Or if you occasionally use a PC or a laptop, Internet Explorer might say, Internet Explorer has stopped responding. Or this program has stopped responding. And as I was preparing, I really feel that for many of us, particularly for those of us who know God in the room today and have been on the road a while, it's like your prayer life is stuck. And my goal, my assignment today is to unstick your prayer life 
And what happens when something's stuck and you're trying to make it unstuck, you can try various things, but ultimately, if none of that's working, you have to restore factory settings. And that's what I mean. This is going to be some basics. These are going to be some factory setting principles that will enable your prayer life to move forward, to maybe begin for the first time or to move to another level because Jesus encompasses everybody when he talks about prayer. So let's read it. Matthew chapter 6 says this, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And your translation may also say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus talks about two groups of people. This is his mandate. This is his manifesto on prayer. And just before he talks about how to pray, he talks about two groups of people. To show us what prayer is about, how we should pray, Jesus contrasts two extremes of how not to pray. So he talks about the hypocrites over here, not, not literally here, just, okay, here. And he talks about the pagans over here. Actually, that's probably, no, 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 not true. Two groups of people. Why does he do this? Well, truth is revealed in tension. Is God sovereign? Do I have personal responsibility? Yes. Truth is revealed in tension. A note on a guitar is produced as the chord is in tension. Contrasting opposites. Tensions reveal truth. And what Jesus is doing is setting the scene to reveal truth because he says if I talk to you about these people who've got it a bit wrong and these people who've got it a bit wrong then what I'm about to bring into view is for all people because the gospel is for everyone everywhere in every place at all times and if it doesn't work for everyone everywhere in every place at all times it's not the gospel Jesus is saying it's not about this extreme or this extreme but I understand there's a spectrum and in the room today I imagine there's a spectrum. There are those of us who love prayer. You came out of the womb speaking in tongues. You, you just love praying. It's so easy for you. It's natural. You can't get, there could be a prayer meeting every other night of the week all year and there wouldn't be enough. You love praying. There's others of us, most of us who struggle to pray. We know we should. We know we ought to. We want to be better at it, but we don't do it as much as we think we ought to. 
And if we're really honest, we need a bit of help. You may be here new to faith or just exploring a relationship with Jesus. And prayer is exciting and thrilling and amazing for you. You're, maybe you've knelt by your bedside for the first time recently and explored what it is to talk to God. Wow. Maybe you've never prayed in your life. You could be here on our Alpha course today, maybe hearing about prayer for the first time, or you've been brought by a friend. Maybe this prayer is a prayer that you've prayed as a prayer. And in Luke, that's okay because we see it says there, when you pray, say our Father. So this can be prayed as a prayer. Uh, my Mother-in-law, father-in-law are here today and over the breakfast table this morning with our three-year-old, I said to Jude, we're talking about prayer and maybe you can pray the Lord's because Jude can pray the Lord's prayer as a prayer. And um, he didn't really respond to me in any way, shape or form. He's like, I think I just want to eat my, my breakfast, dad. That's great. Sometimes he loves it. Sometimes he's like, no prayer, daddy. Please go away. It can be prayed as a prayer. Maybe you've prayed that or heard that uh, when you were younger or occasionally at Christmas. Something like that. The point is there's a spectrum and we all engage with prayer in some kind of way. And Jesus says, I want to take all of you on a journey into how your prayer life can be better. And how you can experience me and know me through prayer. So Jesus talks about these people. What's he saying? For these super religious people who've gone off track and got it wrong, it became about performance. They love to stand praying and be seen by others. So he was getting at their motives. Your motives are wrong, he was saying. It's not about performance. Over here, he's talking about the pagans. That's a Bible word for the irreligious. So you have the super religious. You've got the irreligious. And the irreligious, he's saying, for you, it's about babbling. You think you'll be heard because of your many words. Just saying perfunctionary prayers. It's about performance over here. It's about perfunction over here. Jesus is saying it's not about either of them. Your motives should be right. And prayer should be full of meaning. It's not perfunctionary. It should be full of meaning. It's not a performance. It should come from the right motives. And what does Jesus then bring into view? He says, you should pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So in relation to this error, Jesus is saying, we need to establish who you're praying to. It's not for other people. Uh, On Freedom in Christ this week, somebody was saying to me, one of the things they struggled with was that when they hear other people pray, they think they could never pray like that or they could never be like them. And how many of us in the room can relate to that? Maybe you've heard the great and mighty prayers in a prayer meeting and thought, wow, well, I'm never going to pray out loud because I could never pray anything like that. It's not that that's wrong, but it has the possibility to get off track, Jesus is saying, if it becomes about performance. So he's saying, who you pray to is the first thing we need to establish. So what I'm doing now is I'm talking about the platform of prayer. I'm going to go on to talk about the practice of prayer and then a little bit later, the pattern of prayer. But what I want to do first of all is establish 
a name, the foundation that Jesus establishes before he then goes in to teach us how to pray. So who you pray to? Your Father in heaven. In secret. Really what he's saying by that is it's about your heart. It should be full of meaning. It should be authentic. Some, that place that God sees, the secret place, your, your heart. Praying to your Father from your heart. So what, what is Jesus saying? He's establishing a foundation of grace. The hypocrites didn't know about that because the revelation of God as Father was the thing that put Jesus on the cross. The pagans didn't know about that. They didn't really think that prayer probably really mattered at all or had any power. It was perfunctionary. Maybe you've been to a church service when you were a child or prayed some liturgy or maybe even prayed prayers in, a, in an extemporaneous way but just not put any meaning or thought or heart into it. Jesus is saying prayer should be founded on the right motives and full of real meaning. Pray to your Father from the heart. It's authentic and it's about relationship. Really simply, what is prayer? Prayer is about an authentic relationship with God, your Father. You can write this down. It's going to come up on the screen. A conversation with God, your Father, from your heart. That's prayer. It can be anywhere. Jesus will talk about that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's a conversation with God, your Father, from your heart. He is longing to hear your simple, silly little prayers about how you feel and about who he is and about your experience of him and all the things that concern you. He longs to be with you. He longs to know you because he loves you unconditionally. He's your father. How do you feel about that today? To know God as your father. We know he's Elohim, but the greatest revelation is that this almighty creator God, maker of the heavens and the earth is your father. So prayer is about authentic relationship. Are you with me? This, it's okay? You're tracking with me? So a platform of prayer. Secondly, well, let's get practical. Let's talk about the practice of prayer. I love how Jesus goes from talking about the hypocrites and the pagans and your heart and having an all. It's just about an authentic conversation with God. That's what prayer is. He then, he then gets really practical and he talks about when you pray, go into your room. The, I mean, the next thing he talks about is, is just a room. It's like really practical. Okay, we need a, need a room. Anybody got a room? Do we have a room around here? We need a room. I need to pray. Okay, apparently I need, I need a room. Something really practical. So if we want to get at, and, and I think this is important because one of uh, the reasons why we struggle to pray sometimes and why we find prayer difficult is because a lot of it is very practical. The first bit is the most important bit. And I think sometimes we think we have a prayer problem, but we actually have a relationship problem. 
So our foundation of prayer isn't in the right place. When I uh, was in my 20s, I lived in Australia for a couple of years and I went to Bible college. And one of the things that I did fairly ironically in going to Bible college was that I kind of just threw off all the disciplines and the forms of devotion, praying and reading my Bible in the strict kind of more disciplined approach that I'd had to it um, because God was establishing as he is for some of you today, as he is already for some of you in this season, a foundation of grace in my life. I was coming to understand in a deeper way that God loved me not because of what I did for him, but he loved me because he loved me, because he loved me, because he made me, because I'm his son, and it's unconditional. And I think how many of us as Christians can still live with the traces of religion, the traces of the law in our minds that will tell us God is happier with you when you've prayed or when you've read your Bible or when you've had a devotional time or when you've ticked the boxes. But the truth is you don't owe God anything. And when you're making, this is a word of wisdom maybe for someone, when you're making that transition into the glorious freedom of grace, you often need to let go of lots of the things that you've done. And we can find that difficult. Sometimes we have to defy our own consciences that have been seared by those rules and regulations and responsibilities and duties. And maybe culturally, some of you can relate to that more this morning. Churches, we, we've got we've to go to church. Even if I come five minutes from before the end, well, I've, I've ticked church. I've, I've done church. It's in the bag. I've tipped my hat to God and he's pleased with me. His wrath is averted for another seven days. I mean... But God is longing for a relationship as a father, to know you, to know your heart. So the grace platform is really important. It's maybe not a prayer problem, it's a relationship problem. Practically then, we need to get to some of the bones of it. And when I'd thrown off some of these things in Australia, what I said to myself was, I'm going to pray whenever I feel like praying. And if I don't feel like praying, I'm not going to pray. And one night, I just went for a walk around the Australian suburb uh, that I was in. If you imagine Ramsey Street in your head, you're right there. Scott and Charlene were just over in the bushes. Yeah, less people got that in this service. That's fine. I understand. I'm very old. Ramsey Street. I'm walking around the suburb at night. And just began to talk to God, to have a conversation with God, my Father, from my heart. Lord, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. This is, will you help me with this? Father, how do you feel about this? And I encountered a Father who communed back with me, who opened his heart to me, who spoke with me, who impressed his love upon me. A conversation with God, our Father from our heart so how do we do that that was a place for me and I think place is key because Jesus gives us that insight turn with me to Luke chapter 5 verse 16 we don't 
see much about the prayer life of Jesus. We get glimpses of it, as I've alluded to. And this is one of those. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There's not a lot of detail there. I love that. Grace won't give you a lot of detail. What is this telling me? It's telling me that prayer is something that you need to work out and discover for yourself. Jesus often withdrew to lonely, number one, places. The first thing, if you're writing this down, we've talked about the platform of prayer. This is now the practice of prayer. The first thing is find your places. So we see that Jesus talks about a room, but clearly he wasn't just talking about a room. The room in that sense then is symbolic also and representative because Jesus didn't always pray in a room. He went to lonely places. I love that because we could say, well, what places? Where should I pray? Places. Grace, just places. But, yeah, but which place? What's the right place? Right. Should it be the lounge? You know, it's, it's more anointed in the lounge than just places. Places. Find your places. Do you have your places? Have you ever had a place? See, here in the beginning of this passage in, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not. So he has an expectation that if you're a Christian in the room today, you should pray. And preaching is like that. Preaching is demanding. It's challenging. A great Bible teacher, Robert Ferguson, talks about the difference between preaching and teaching. He says, preaching is demanding. The greatest, shortest preach ever in the Bible, Jesus to Nicodemus, five words. You must be born again. Five words. It's affronting. We don't always like it. It's uncomfortable. You must be born again. Jesus expects us to pray. I would want to say to you today, if you're a Christian, you must pray. You might not like that, but you must pray. You're a Christian. You should pray. You must pray. But teaching, if preaching is demanding, it's challenging, teaching is enabling, it's equipping. You must pray, but we can pray. This is what you must do, but here's how we can do it. So he says, you must pray. He expects it. But then he goes on to say, when his disciples says, teach us, Lord, how to pray. He then does that. He sits down. He teaches them. So find your places. Is it a coffee shop? Is it a seat in a restaurant? Is it your car on the way to work? Is it your bedroom? Maybe there are a few. Is it a chair? I, uh, I have a chair in my house. It's moved around a lot because we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so rooms have changed and there's been nurseries and dad has been trying to cling on to his kind of man space for a while. I'm now out in the shed, praise God. But for a while when dad's man cave became the nursery, it was more an act of defiance, I think, than devotion. I just kind of went and just plonked dad's chair in it so that on the very inconsistent occasion when I got up before my child's to pray, I would just go and sit in the chair in the, I've got my place. You know, I probably wasn't even praying, just really glad that I've still got a stake in the ground in my own home. Find your places. Secondly, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Grace, how often should we pray? Often. 
But how often? Should it be every day? Twice a day? Three times a day? As was their custom? Should, once a, often. Jesus often prayed, so I think we should often pray. Often. How often? Prayer is something that you need to discover for yourself. It's a conversation with God, your Father, from your heart. Establish your rhythm. And your rhythm may change in different seasons of life or different times in the year or different things that you've also got in your world. God understands that. It's a relationship. It's not fixed. It's dynamic. Establish your rhythm. Thirdly, prioritize getting alone. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Being lonely and getting alone are two very different things. If you get alone with God, it will stave off loneliness. Being alone is, is an important part. And how much is that important for us where it's so easily uh, to be, easy to be distracted? You know, Jesus says here, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. So we know if he's speaking figuratively about the room in some senses, then... He's, he's speaking figuratively about the door. What does that mean? Push distraction away. It can be a challenge for me sometimes because I take notes on my phone. So if I'm uh, having a time with God and I've got my Bible and my journal, I might have my phone to look back through some notes, but then I can be writing an email before I know it or checking something on social media. And y- y- the struggle is real. I mean, it, it's easy to shut the door by turning off your phone. You must, turn it off. You, must, you must just turn off your phone. I've preached right there. How do we do it? There's an off button. Turn your phone off. Shutting the door doesn't look like this when you're praying. Get alone. Prioritize it. It's difficult. It's not easy. We've got to work hard, but Jesus did it. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And finally, be yourself. It's kind of obvious, but it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He he couldn't send one of his disciples to pray for him. He had to do his own push-ups. Be yourself. Why? Prayer isn't about performance. It's not perfunctionary. It's full of the right motives. It's infused with meaning. It's on a platform of grace, a conversation with God, your Father, from your heart. Be yourself. God longs to meet with you. When I walked around those streets in Australia, I found that God was waiting for me. He was longing to meet with me. Do you have a rendezvous with God? Do you have a place? Do you get alone? Do you have a rhythm? Are you yourself when you have your conversation with God, your Father, from your heart? So the platform of prayer, the practice of prayer, and then finally, the pattern of prayer. So Jesus has established this foundation. He's taught us through his own life how we can pray, find our places, establish rhythm, get alone, be yourself. That will help you pray practically. He then gives us a pattern and I think this then can also be true for us so God loves me and okay my heart is established in grace or I'm growing to understand that I'm on a journey 
to faith. Maybe I'm exploring God. Maybe I don't quite know where I'm at in relation to faith, but I'm hearing, okay, God loves me unconditionally. So I'm praying and having a conversation with him on that basis. And I'm putting some practical things in place. But then when I get to the chair in the nursery or I'm walking around the suburb in Australia, I think one of the things that we can then struggle with is what do I say? When I get to the place of prayer, what do I do? How do I not get distracted? How do I stay engaged? How do I connect with God? And it gives me encouragement because in Jesus bringing the truth about prayer to all people and naming this extreme and this extreme, he's saying this is for everyone. And in some senses, this is everyone's experience. We have to practice it and lean into it. And his disciples asked the same question. Jesus teaches how to pray. So the pattern of prayer, number three, you can write these down. Jesus, first of all, says, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you read that in the Bible before he went to the cross, he prayed, Abba. That word kind of means, Oh, Father, dear Father, Daddy. It's so intimate and affectionate. Jesus himself prayed, Abba, Abba. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Wow. So firstly, rest. Rest in your relationship with God on the basis of his righteousness, of his love for you, of your sonship. You're a loved royal son and daughter. There's everything that was needful to obtain your peace, he accomplished. I just, Father, I come to you today. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me. And I love you, Father. An authentic relationship, a conversation with God, your Father, from your heart. I think sometimes we can skip maybe too quick past this bit because we think prayer is about making requests or making demands or but it's a relationship, it's a communion, it's a togetherness. I remember times in my own life where I was struggling with my health and recovering from sickness where when I prayed, I I rarely got past this point because I just didn't really have very much to give. And I think sometimes when we approach prayer on the basis of duty rather than the delight of devotion, then we feel prayer is about ultimately something we have to bring to God. But he just wants to be with you. He's longing to hear your voice. He's longing to hear your whisper. He's longing to listen to your heart. Rest. Enjoy that. Secondly, he then says you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which is, Remember, remember, praise God, worship God, thank God. Maybe put a CD on or some, um, I don't know if anybody has CDs anymore. Put, listen to your phone or put some music on, get Spotify out, whatever, heart worship will get you there quicker. Whatever you need to do. This is about praising God, declaring who He is. Oh Lord, I forgot this week that you're powerful. 
and that you're greater than everything and that you know everything and that you are everywhere and that you love me as the apple of your eye. I remember you. Holy is your name. Often the Bible is a great way to enter into this. Take a psalm that recounts who God is or the attributes of God. Remember him. Rest in him. Thirdly, relinquish. Your kingdom come. I've seen how great you are. I've remembered that you're my loving heavenly father and you're in control. I'm not building my kingdom. I'm not building my world. Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, I yield to you. I lovingly submit to you. Father, I trust in you. I cast all my cares upon you. The burdens and the anxieties, I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle to pray because we find ourselves hampered in the place of prayer because of all the troubles and the burdens and the anxieties of life. The Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Cast them all. Relinquish. Then he says, bring your needs. So it starts with the glory of God. It's all about him. And as we declare his glory and we realize that we're dependent on his grace and his goodness, Lord, deliver me, feed me, meet my needs, forgive me, deliver me, lead me, lead us not into temptation. We bring our requests. You talk about all the things that are on your heart. The Bible says that he perfects that which concerns you. We bring our needs and our requests. And then finally, it's kind of implicit, but it closes the circle. Receive, if your translation has it, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So we start with the greatness and the kingdom and the power of God and we end with the greatness and the kingdom and the power of God through this authentic relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. For those then who've accepted it, are positioned to become enforcers of it. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us then, for yours is, it's there. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let it be. For yours is, now at the end, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power in my life, in my mind, in my body, in my family, in my marriage, in my work, in my purpose, in all that which concerns me as I've I've entered into this loving relationship with my heavenly Father and I've yielded to Him and I've aligned myself to Him and I've caught His perspective. I'm now an enforcer of that. So prayer goes from being devotional to being dominional. Christ in you, raised with Christ, seated with Him in the heavenly places. And as you close the circle, you enter the eye of the storm. The eye of the storm. The Bible says that though a thousand may fall, at your right hand and 10,000 at your side it shall not come near you he who dwells in 
in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I trust. Though the winds may be swirling, we can put that up on the screen. Though the waves may be battering you, whatever place you find yourself in right now in your circumstances, if you can head for the place of prayer, oh, you'll get in the eye of the storm and suddenly, the chaos will cease. The peace will reign. The clarity will come. You'll lift up your eyes in the eye of the storm. You'll see there's no clouds. It's said that in the middle of a hurricane, this is where the eye of the storm is, right in the center of a hurricane. You'll lift up your eyes and what has been pitch black in the hurricane, suddenly you'll see the sun. Suddenly you'll see the heavens. Suddenly you'll realize that there's a perspective that's so much greater than anything that's around me, than any test or turmoil or tremor assigning itself to my life. The eye of the storm, the place of prayer. Head to the eye of a storm. If you build your life on a platform of grace, the platform of prayer, a conversation with God your Father from your heart, and you put into place some of your practices, how you discover praying, the places, get alone, have a rhythm, be yourself lean into the pattern that Jesus gives all of his disciples in how to pray then you also can learn how to pray. Amen. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart Church UK.